One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. It's my screen time too. Hello and welcome to It's My Screen Time 2, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming, from Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen, find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Katie. And I'm Deborah. And I have two kids, Jay, he's five, and Kenny, he's two. And I have three kids, Tony is 11, and my twins, Libby and Nate, are eight. And today we are thrilled to be joined by Shella Fazy, graphic designer, illustrator, photographer, and host of the I'm a Muslim and That's Okay podcast. Welcome, Shella. Hi. Hi, everybody. Shella, do you want to tell us how many kids you have and how old they are? Uh, I have two boys. Um, my eldest is 10 and my youngest is seven. Awesome. And our kids are so adorable, aren't they? We'd like to tell a quick story, Shella, about how awesome or occasionally awful our kids are, because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms too. And Shella, I think you and I are in the same boat. We're both uh, facilitating distance learning these days. Are you yes. still distance learning? So we're at the end of the week here, and it's a little hard to come up with an adorable story for my kids. <laughs> But they have been building an igloo in our front yard or out of, obviously, snow. And that's been pretty cute to watch. Oh, but that that's all cute. I've got this week. That's sweet. <laughs> At least you guys got snow. Um, we got snow. It was not snow. It's a wintry mix, but it's Dallas. Um, that's all we're going to get. And my kids were over the moon excited about it. And they were out in this sloshy little mess. And they loved it, every second of it. But, you know, I have to tell them that this is real. <laughs> they unfortunately um, have only seen snow maybe once or twice. Yeah, and nobody's traveling to see it this year, that's for sure. <laughs> Deborah, my story this week is also kind of school-related. So I've never done the private school admissions process before, but my oldest is aging out of his preschool. They go all the way through kindergarten. So he has to go somewhere next year. So we did his admissions entrance exams yesterday. And the cliche with private schools is that if you can get your older kid in, your younger kid is pretty much just whatever. They don't it's not a stressful process to get your younger one in, which is a really yes. good thing because immediately when we got there, like the admissions lady, one admissions lady took Jay away and that was fine. And then the other one went to take Kenny and he just immediately started throwing crayons at her head. Oh, no. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> I hope Jay realized he was carrying the whole enterprise on his shoulders. Oh, that sounds pretty classic little brother. Yep. Mm. <laughs> Well, we are talking in our screen time in the news segment this week about a deadline article about how Common Sense Media is launching a streaming service. And you guys, this looks awesome. It's going to be vetted videos by like child development and education experts. 
from all kinds of production studios, like things you would see on regular TV, to good stuff on YouTube. And even the ads are vetted. And then it's going to be organized in three different age groups, like little kids, five to seven, and then eight and up. I think it's uh, to 12 from what I remember. Right, okay. eight to 12 for the last category, yeah. I don't know about you, Shella, but we really struggle. Our kids are around the same age. My kids are around the same age as yours. And my kids want to watch the worst stuff on YouTube. Stuff. That's true. That's true. It. Um, I struggle with that a lot, especially when you have two boys. They, they have the sort of like this mindset of action, action, action all the time. Or it's some, um, um, and this is new. This was not there like before that there'd be gamers and they actually stream the content on various, uh, even TV channels. I think Nickelodeon started it and I was surprised and I was like, oh my gosh, I, I mean, they watch it on YouTube, but why isn't it on TV as well? And they're just mesmer mesmerized watching these gamers. And yeah, I mean, uh, I get uh, Nickelodeon does vet it, but it's never vetted online, especially when it's on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So it's a really, it's a tricky situation when you have like that kind of energy that wants something constantly entertaining. How do you really filter everything? Yeah, I think this will be a really great and useful service. My question is with older kids who are used to using YouTube because my kids are still a little bit too young. Do you think you'll get pushback for introducing a new service? Like they'll be able to sense that you want it too much? Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, most definitely. Oh, heavens. Yes. Because um, my kids are, are a little older. So um, I used to adore it when they used to watch PBS. And I wish mm -hmm. that they would still keep watching it because a lot of good stuff. It's not that it's not entertaining. Mm -hmm. I really love some of the stuff they have. It's good educational stuff in a very, in a very like fun way. It's not, it's not boring. So I wish they would keep watching it and they would switch back to it. Uh, but it's a hard transition to that direction. Um, that's why I think I ha I'm a little skeptical about how much this would pay for the reason that kids are used to being able to access um, their favorite celebrity. And I say celebrity because they're not traditional celebrities in the sense there are these child um, YouTubers uh, online. And they're like, oh, but this doesn't feature Ryan or um, Evan. Um, I mean, Evan was the thing when my were growing up. He yeah. was the man and they wanted to watch Evan and Jillian and you know all of their, their shenanigans. So how am I going to get them to watch this? That, that I think is my first trepidation about this. I love the idea. I've been wanting this for a long, long time because I needed this when my kids were younger. They just didn't have, they had, uh, the alternative was YouTube kids is what they had because I, I couldn't let them have free reign on YouTube. Mm -hmm. But That's even still then, a lot I'm, of I'm not, junk I'm not, content. I'm not happy with how the content is there, but I don't know. I'm still not convinced that it's very age appropriate, even when they have the categories. I can create separate profiles, but I don't think that it's very age, age appropriate. And of course, the ads are always uh, problematic. And even with these YouTubers, um, whichever you want to name it, the child YouTubers, there's a lot of pushing products. You know, oh, mm -hmm. I bought this 
et cetera, et cetera, toy, it's so cool. It's a, it's pushing a product. I really don't need that. You know, uh, my kids have a bajillion toys. I don't need mm. to buy them a bajillion more. Right. And it remains to be seen. I know in times past, we've used the Common Sense Media site when looking for shows and movies to review for the show. And often they will review something and say it's appropriate when it's not necessarily good. So I wonder if they'll bring that same <laughs> lens to this short yes, form video, that, which could also be a problem. <laughs> a problem. That's that's also the thing. Um, it's, it's a case of what's good for the goose is not necessarily good for the gander. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I'm, it's a really old saying, but that's the thing. There are different standards for different families even. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty strict by, about a lot of things, especially when it comes to language. I think that's my main, um, I get, pe- I guess, pet peeve about TV shows that um, the language uh, most people would not consider harsh, but I'm like, I don't know if my seven-year-old should be exposed to, to words like, and I hope I, I hope you don't mind me saying it, but things like somebody is stupid or a moron or, you know, things of those nature. I'm not crazy about that, but it, it does happen. Mm-hmm. And in today's media environment, particularly with streaming content, it's impossible to police all of it. It's impossible Mm -hmm. to police all of it and have your kids feel like they're getting a normal experience, I guess. Exactly. It is very hard. And I do do laud the effort by them that it is definitely a good idea. I think my second, and this is not even a content issue, I want to, I'm trying to think how viable this is in a, in the standpoint of a business, because what they say is that they'll have a really vetted content, A, and B, vetted advertising as well. That is only seven minutes per hour, uh, per the entire hour. How are, how are they going to be making money? Yeah, subscription is one thing. But really, um, the biggest money makers for places like YouTube is not even the ads itself. The ads come in, in, into play, but a lot of the products that they're endorsing is the second the um, big money maker for places like YouTube and stuff. Really, how is the business going to be be profitable when they're working with restrictions? Is what I would really like to know, because I would hate for the business to start up for the company to start up the streaming service and then set themselves up for failure? That's an interesting question. I don't know. I guess I just have to say, I don't know how it will work, but I hope it will. Yeah, I'm definitely going to try it. (laughs) Because maybe my kids are the perfect age because they haven't even really started the whole YouTube thing yet. So this could come Mm. online and I could just show this to them as if it's the only option. Totally, totally. (laughs) Yes. That'd be great. That's fantastic. You know, I think that that's if you, you if you can get away with it for a certain period of time, I think just go for it. I tried. It just didn't work out. I'm just looking forward to Sensical. It's not out yet, but I'll be posting on Facebook as soon as it is. So today we are talking about the new Pixar movie Soul, which just debuted on December 25th, 2020 on Disney+. Plus. It is directed by Pete Docter, who also directed such Pixar classics as Up and Inside Out. It has a 100-minute runtime, so just a hair over that magic number of 90 minutes that you know I love to see. 
It features tons of big name voice talent like Tina Fey, Jamie Foxx, Graham Norton, Questlove, and our second Felicia Rashad role in as many months, which we are very grateful for. Just to provide a very, very short summary, in an effort to return to life after his accidental death, a jazz pianist must encourage a new soul to find its spark or reason to go to Earth and inhabit a body. So there are very few silver linings to COVID, but one of them is that we actually get to watch and review new movies as soon as they come out instead of me having to punt and say that there's no way I will take a two-year-old to a movie theater. So we're excited about that, and it's safe to say, based on our Twitter feed, that the internet loved this movie. And many responses were saying that it was not really a kids movie that grown-ups could like, but more of a grown-up movie that kids would also like, which just really piqued our interest and we figured we absolutely had to weigh in. Did we like it? Shella, did you like it? Oh, um, I would be the bad person to start with. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm just going to do a, a, a short backstory of yeah because here's the thing my obsession with anim uh, animation any type has been long-standing and I really hold a lot of these full-length features to be um, strict standards and the promotion of soul has been been going on for the past year I was really excited about it for two reasons because the the central character was a person of color and I just, when it comes down to it, as someone who is a minority, we, we love it. We want to see ourselves. Uh, and please, uh, I do want to, again, a disclaimer, I'm not black. So I'm just, uh, just speaking as someone who is a minority, but it doesn't matter. We do love seeing ourselves in the forefront. So that was, it got me really excited. Second of all, I love jazz music. I do love it. And um, it was like, oh, this is my thing. This is something <laughs> that I can look forward to. And I was, I was, here's the thing. I loved the visualizations of it. The visuals were absolutely stunning. There's no doubt about it. The, the visual, how everything was represented, how the main character was represented and everything around him it was fantastic. And even when he departs into the next world, everything, how it was created, everything was spot on, the graphics, the animation, everything was, was really great. I will not find any flaws in that. I get that the story has to appeal to a wider audience, but when you take a central character that is Black and you name the movie Soul, there's a certain... Uh, expectation of it at least I had a certain expectation of it that this movie even though it didn't have to be a black story necessarily or uh, or a story of the black experience necessarily but it did have to be authentic to the black narrative and I think that's where I was just a, more than a little bit disappointed let's put it this way right because it was essentially not addressed at all right no I, I like I said I'm a very heavy critic and a lot of my friends hate me for it it's like but you just watch it for the entertainment it's like no it's like, this isn't and the, the other thing that I think was something that and it's not a problem as such it's just that the plot itself was pretty complex 
Mm-hmm. Um, if I showed my kids 20 minutes into the, into the movie, they'd be like, I don't want to watch this mm-hmm. because there's a lot of heavy things going inside of it. So they'd be like, I don't want to watch this. Why am I not gonna? They'll be like all over the place. I definitely agree with you on that front. I feel like with the early Pixar features, there was so much focus on the technological wizardry, like in A Bug's Life, how each blade of grass was so lovingly crafted, and in Monsters, Inc., how, like, Sully's hair moves, hair. and the yes. water in Finding Nemo, and and then, all of a sudden, maybe it was around Wally that Pixar suddenly thought that it had to also be responsible for the heaviest storytelling in all children's <laughs> properties ever and I'm sure it kind of speaks to my pandemic state of mind but I just wasn't I wasn't there for it I wasn't there to be taught that heavy a lesson about what constitutes a fruitful life (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even sure exactly if that's what the conclusion was there was so many plots and subplots that sort of intermingled and Oh my God, I, I, I can't even expect, I can't expect my kids to follow this when I'm ha- really struggling with this. And I'm, I, I'm into heavy movies. I've always been to he- into heavy movies, movies that are mind benders. But even then, they generally do lead you to a very specific point that's made. And I felt that um, Soul could not do that very effectively. Deborah, are you going to bring the sunshine? I think I liked it a little bit better than the two of you did. <laughs> but I was not prepared for, like you you've said, the heaviness of the topic. And I think that's just because maybe it's just the time we're living in, but I don't want to be thinking about such heaviness as life after death and what is the meaning of life. But then, you know, I looked at the list of old Pixar movies and I shouldn't have been that surprised because like Coco took place in the land of the dead onward has a dead dad inside out is very literally it's a cerebral movie i think if i had to compare two movies i'm sorry i interrupted deborah no that's okay Uh, they were trying to create an inside out from with soul yeah inside out even though it was very it's a very complex thing that they were they had tried to put together but it was done very well Mm -hmm. and and the same, uh, if you take the same vein, life after death or the meaning of, or the purpose in one's life, also a very complex thing. There's no doubt about it. And it's different for everybody. And unfortunately, that complexity could not be simplified. And if you can't simplify it, it's not a kid's movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So was it more for grownups than kids? Did you cry? <laughs> I was totally expecting to. I did not. But I do think it was more for grown-ups than kids. Like, I think to a certain extent, Pixar has consumed its own Kool-Aid. It really thinks it's the the best at storytelling, and it just has to continue in this really heavy lane, which is kind of sad. I wish we could just go back to being impressed by how things look. Yeah. Before we get into the animation, what did you think about the cast and the characters? This was an all-star cast. Even like little extras, like the guy in the barbershop was played by David Diggs, was my favorite Hamilton star, <laughs> who were standouts and who did not stand out to you. Go ahead, Shella. The cast was top notch. There's no doubt about it. They played their characters very well. 
and you you wanted to love them except for and i'm gonna get flack for this for 22 i did not like 22 <laughs> even though she's central to the story but i did not care for 22 even though i love tina fey please it's not has nothing to do with tina fey it's just that she in herself the 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 character itself was like this is not a very endearing character let's put it this way it, and you don't have to be a cute character or even a, a nice character to be endearing. It's just that I was not crazy about it. But the, uh, for everybody else, I mean, Jamie Bo uh, Jamie Fox, who, who voiced Joe. And I think, you know, the person I loved the most, Dorothea by, uh, by Angela Bassett. She was fantastic. Mm -hmm. I loved her. I wanted to be her. Yeah. And that's, that's, she, they were all shining characters voiced by incredibly talented people. It just came together in a way that unfortunately, even with an all-star cast, I couldn't really get to it. Yeah. The emotional yeah. connection wasn't there. Mm -hmm. I got really emotionally invested though in Joe's plight. Like I really wanted him to be able to perform. That's because you're a jazz musician. <laughs> I mean, I'm no, an amateur. I wanted to see it too. <laughs> I'm. A, I, I love jazz and I play the piano, and um, but I have no like aspirations. But I kind of was rooting for him to make it back to earth because I, I didn't want the plot of the story to happen. So that was a very disappointing <laughs> ending for me. <laughs> I think the 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 thing that I was also expecting was a really, really like a, a jazz number that really hits you right here. Yes, yes. And I think they had, they had two, like two instances, they could have done it, but there wasn't one that could become the focal point of the movie and really hit jazz music home. Like the audience would be, would have been blown away by it. And I think they should have done that. They should have put that there. Totally agreed. I would have liked to have a more earwormy musical number to take home with me for sure. Uh -huh. Or keep home with me because I was watching this on my couch. Deborah, did you have any favorite characters? I loved the like shaman character who was like <laughs> on the ship that went in and out of the afterlife. <laughs> um, especially when you find out that he's like the guy twirling the sign on the street corner and he's yes, in the yes, zone. Yes. Was he was very endearing. Moonwind, I think that's who he is. <laughs> we talk a lot about animation and the look of movies, Shella, but we don't really have any background in animation or illustration. So I would love to hear your thoughts on the animation. You talked a little bit about oh, it, like but were there any standout scenes? I think uh, there are two things that were very standout for me. And again, it's the level of detail that I don't know if you remember in the beginning when Joe is playing the piano, you can see the back of his hand. And it was remarkable. I've never seen this in an animated movie, but it showed to such accuracy, accuracy his fingernails, which if anybody's ever noticed, a person who's black, they have this, this wonderful contrast in their fingernails. And it uh, it literally pops out, but that's never been shown in a full length feature. And that's the first thing I noticed. And I was like, this, this is amazing. This is, they've 
they've done the homework when it comes to creating this character in a very authentic way. Mm-hmm. It's not just, oh, he just he just has hands. That's that's not how it was. They created him with a lot of love when it came to how he was visually. The other thing that I found very um, found this very uh, entertaining was were the characters of Jerry and Terry. Now, if you know that Jerry is not one Jerry, there's only one Terry, but there's many Jerry's, and these Jerry's are all 2D in essentially a very 3D surrounding. Mm-hmm. For anybody who studied animation or who is crazy about animation like I am, achieving that is very difficult, but they did it. They did it flawlessly that you had these Jerry characters that were basically line art in a very 3D world, but they they didn't look like, like they were being cut out and put into the, they, they were blended into the 3D world even though they were 2D. And I think that was spectacular. Mm-hmm. Like I said, everything when it came to animation and visuals were spectacular in this movie. If there's any any animation out there, they should watch it just to pick up how to create this world well or create characters well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that would be my feedback when it came to animation. I thought it was so clever when one of the Jerry's goes to Earth. He's like hiding in the street signs and he's like hiding in the walking guy on the crosswalk. I thought that was very clever and fun to see. Deborah, do you want to give us your thoughts on the music? I liked the music a lot. I was, wasn't sure what to expect. I guess maybe more jazz standards. Um, But I thought that the band when they were playing was really good. Joe, when he was riffing, was really good. I thought it portrayed of, like, when he was in the zone improvising, it was very true. Like, if you're ever playing something and you're playing it really well and you just kind of have, like, a little bit of an out-of-body experience, um, like a nirvana of sorts. So I liked the music a lot. But I, like I said, I like jazz. It's one of my, one of my love languages. <laughs> And I know jazz is not for everybody. <laughs> I would have loved to hear some jazz standards. It's the endless improvisational self-indulgent jazz that I do not care for. Shella, what did you think of the music? You said that you were a jazz fan. Yes. Um, and I think, again, um, I, I'm not as hardcore as you, Deborah. I'll, I'll be uh, you know completely frank about it. But I do enjoy it very much. And uh, when it comes to jazz music you can tell when it's from the heart but the score was was not something that was memorable that I would say oh uh, you know I would like stream it on Spotify and and endlessly listen to it because you know when I have my playlist I have lots of jazz blues all of these things in my playlist this is not going to be one of them Mm -hmm. and I, I sort of like researched it again a lot of my nerddom shows up when it comes to this the music itself the score itself was from what I had read, and this is a Wikipedia, so I'm not really getting into how authentic it is, was what is referred to as user-friendly jazz, and that's exactly what it was. This jazz was not really uh, like hard-hitting jazz. It was something that uh, could be universally accepted. I think that's what sort of gets to me, is that they had something fantastic with it, 
but they sort of made it very generic. They done a lot more with when it came to giving it a little more heart, more mm-hmm. soul. <laughs> I think if we lived in a pre-Coco world where Pixar just didn't do music really in their movies, it would be a different thing. But we had Coco, which was this beautiful example of oh music God, being I used so effectively. It. I love Coco. It really does feel like a missed opportunity. One of my favorite moments from Solo was when one of the students of Joe's plays the trombone solo in the stairwell i thought that was a standout moment and that's the thing the trombone solo both of them um she did two solos one was in in the classroom the other one was in the stairwell they were both they were good solos those were with heart and i remember being touched by both of them and i was like this is so good i love this but joe's music didn't hit you that same way i wish i did like how his first, uh, how he finally, when he makes um, no, no, uh, his uh, first improv, improv concert with Dorothea was, I liked it. But again, that was not the star jazz number. That was just him showing her what he could do. Mm-hmm. So I was hoping they'd have that one jazz number that would blow you away. Again, a, a lot of these things are just expectations just because of how I am. And it may be unfair because, you know, not everybody looks at it that way. But I, when, I, when it comes to animation, there's, there's certain things that separate an all right movie. It's fine for if you want to pass the time to a, a movie that you can't forget. You always go back to, I will always go back to Coco. It touches you in a way that you can't even sometimes explain. So thoughts on the length of the movie? So 90 minutes definitely my sweet spot for an animated movie. I know this was only 100 minutes, but I worry that it's a slippery slope. And before you know it, we're going to be watching like three hour Marvel length epics. And I am just not here for that. (laughs) No, I I get that. And here's the thing, 90 minute sweet spot. I completely, um, completely agree with you. It went on 100 minutes. People would be like, there's only like 10 minutes. But what are, what is the hundred? Is it worth the hundred minutes? I, I was not there for the hundred minutes for this one. And my kids are not going to be for this one. Mm-hmm. So if I, whenever, you know, the pandemic, we're over it. If, whenever theaters open up, if you're creating a movie that goes on the 90 minutes, I'm spending like what, uh, maybe a hundred bucks at the theater. And my kids at the like 30 minute mark are like, no more, I don't like this. I mean, I'm not going to be happy about that. You'd like to think that Pixar is such an established name that you could just trust them to produce something that you'd know your kids would find magical, not a stupid existential contemplation on the meaning of life. (laughs) (laughs) I actually did hang in for the end of the credits, and there is a cute little Jerry bit at the very end of the movie. (laughs) I think I missed that. You did. You got rewarded for your attention. No, I'm usually really good about these things because, again, more um, than a little bit of a nerd, I'd be like, oh, there must be some, like, Easter egg somewhere. But by the end of it, I was like, no, man, um, I it's too late, and I'm a grandma. Nine o'clock, let's head to bed. <laughs> so we like to think about what grown-up movie or TV show we would compare this to. This is kind of a hard example because it's almost a grown-up movie already. Deborah, do you want to start us off with an example? I have a good one. Okay, so Bill Evans is 
one of the greatest jazz pianists in my opinion he, he played with miles davis he had his own trio he like invented modern jazz piano basically but he was a heroin addict and had like a terrible terrible personal life and was all about the music and he's like the opposite of joe and i watched this bill evans documentary a long time ago but joe's story really reminded me of this bill evans documentary so that's what i would compare it to the bill evans documentary is really really sad though but great music is that its title bill evans that's a good question i didn't do my homework Shella, how about you? Can you think of a grown-up show or movie that you would compare Soul to? What came to my mind was, um, gosh, the one with David Bowie in it. Oh, Labyrinth? Labyrinth. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's, it suddenly popped into my head. Again, not a, a, a real adult movie, but because of how fantastical it was to, to show um, that not afterlife at all or meaning of life. It's just that somebody's being stuck in another realm and needs to get back, that right. sort of thing. And I think uh, the other thing that I found that was interesting about Soul, it reminded me a lot about Freaky Friday, especially when they come <laughs> back to Earth. And I was like, oh gosh, man, that trope's been a lot. <laughs> like, we didn't even like, talk like, about the that, cat, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh man, like that was, I, I was like crazy about that, but hey, let's, let's just do it for the fun, I guess. <laughs> but like Freaky Friday, I guess if you had to put another one, like Freaky Friday, like body switching, you know, that sort of thing. That's a good one for sure. So approximately 10 years ago, there was the show on, I think it was HBO, called Dead Like Me. Did either of you watch it? That sounds super familiar. All right. So it was a girl who died and she becomes a grim reaper. And she's like one of several grim reapers that lives on Earth. And it's her job to like escort souls to, or like right. show souls the way to the great beyond. But she can never go there like the grim the grim reapers don't go to wherever these souls are going they actually just have to go through the drudgery of living a normal life like they still need to get jobs and have apartments and do every like crappy thing about being alive but they also like have this second job of being grim reapers so I thought about that right, a little right. bit. Um, and then my second example segues really nicely into our second evergreen question, which is how would you cast the gritty HBO reboot? And Deborah, I think you're really going to like this one. There was a comedy a couple years ago called Selfie starring John Cho and oh my gosh, why am I blanking on this woman's name? Doctor Who, the Marvel movies... She has red hair. Oh, I'm hating myself um, right now. Amy Pond, what's her real name? Oh gosh, um, that just I happened. Can visualize her and I can't, yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't I, get her name. Gosh, I, I'm sure it, I'll like spit it out after the outro. But okay, so it's the two of them, and it's kind of a Pygmalion situation where John Cho is trying to teach her how to be like an actual adult human in the world, but she is like obsessed with social media and like she can't really function outside of being this really performative character. So I thought I would like to see them cast in the Joe and 
is it 22 or 23? What is even the 22. number? 22. 22. Uh, in those roles, kind of like the student teacher, but with a funny acerbic wit that John Cho can bring to it. Karen Gillen is yes. who you're looking for. Karen <laughs> Gillen, thank you. Deborah, do you have a pick for a gritty HBO reboot cast? So I just Googled like actors who play the piano and Halle Berry is one. And I think that she's kind yeah. of the right she's kind of the right age to play a female version of joe i like um, it mm-hmm. and in the gritty hbo reboot she would be trying out for kamasi washington's band and then i would have wallace sean play 22 because he has a super grating voice and personality so i would typecast him into that role i like it Shella, how about you? Can you think of anyone you would want to play these characters in a gritty alternate show? I will give you a pass if you want one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think so, because the only people I'm getting is, and literally, I would love just for, because of how he is, I would love to see Samuel L. Jackson as Joe. And, you know, him, like, like, really you know, going at it at 22, what's wrong with you? Like yeah. several curse words in a row. <laughs> I think that's really great. <laughs> Do you think it was better when we were kids and kids movies were just kids movies? I'm going to say no, it was not. Shella, you brought up the fact that this is like the first animated movie starring a black protagonist. And we had nothing like that when I was a kid in the 80s. I think for representation's sake, for just different like said, types I, of storytelling, it's a lot better now. I really, really wanted this. I really wanted this movie to be ex- exceptional. And, you know, uh, it's not the first movie with a person of color in, as a protagonist. Um, as we discussed, Coco as well, you know, had a complete Latin American family. The whole Latin American experience was there. But the everyday, you know, uh, stories are generally have never have a person of color. Mm-hmm. And that's why I really wanted this to be something that really stood out because I had never seen anything like this when I was growing up. Um, I think Aladdin was the only one, and that had a lot of problems. I, I can yeah. s- speak to that personally. I loved it. I mean, you. Uh, there was a time I could like recite to you the entire movie word for word. I had seen it so many times. It was a very problematic movie. I have to ask, just because you opened the door to Aladdin, did you see the live-action reboot? <laughs> Uh, I was wondering if you would find it any less problematic, but... um, That's the thing. Um, Even though the original was problematic, there are certain things you don't touch, okay? You do not touch the legacy of the genie. You don't, okay? (laughs) And just for that reason, like, no, they can't do this. They can't do it without Robin Williams. And it was not the perfect movie. The original Aladdin was not the perfect movie, Mm. But there were certain things about it that were that are so timeless that you can't do a live action remake of that and expect it to have the same kind of to it. Again, it all comes down to heart. So I just like I did a hard pass on that one. All right. The big question. Would you ever watch this movie alone voluntarily if we didn't make you watch it for a podcast? You can't shake your head. You have to say yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I hate to even say this, but no, unfortunately, I won't. It, and that's that's the, the the real tragedy of it. I want to, but I won't. Deborah, I don't think so. How about you, Katie? Kevin loves all the Kevin's my husband. He loves all the Pixar movies that I hate. So I have seen Wally a ridiculous number of times, even though I so dislike this movie. So I can confidently say that I will be watching Soul many more times, but I will never choose to watch it alone voluntarily. So I know we've been talking about it a little bit all throughout the episode, but let's just round it out with a couple seconds on whether or not we think this is a good movie for our kids. Mine could not sit through it. My thoughts on this are a little bit more complicated than usual. Usually I'm like, sure, it's fine. No, it's bad. But this one, I think you should watch it with your kids if you're going to watch it, just because it deals with questions about like belief systems and the afterlife. And, you know, me, I'm not like a very observantly religious person. And so we just don't talk about that kind of stuff at my house. Um, so I, need to explain to my kids like what few and flimsy beliefs I do have (laughs) just so they're not getting like all of their religion from a movie like this so I think this one you should probably watch as a family I wouldn't let your kids watch it alone just because of that like tricky afterlife content agreed if they're paying any attention and that I think that's the one of the things that I found was also tricky in this movie. Uh, as a person, I, I observe religion. We have certain specific beliefs about the afterlife, but I have lots of friends who are atheists, and for them, uh, the afterlife is 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 a different matter altogether. So this it has a very specific afterlife-ish theme to it, very heavy to it. Mm-hmm. So I would, I think it would be very problematic for parents uh, with kids, especially young kids, when they see it, they'd be like, um, how would I be able to explain this to kids? Is, should they see it from, as a, as the, from the perspective of an, of an outsider that doesn't believe in this? And then the whole thing about the soul itself is, is very um, religious-centric, or at least spiritually-centric. Those who are not even spiritual, it would be a very hard thing that, you know, uh, what do the kids get out of this? And you're opening the door to a lot of tough conversations with your kids that, oh gosh, can we just stop having tough conversations already? Like, we just... (laughs) Not for a while, Katie. I mean, my five-year-old knows what impeachment is. Should we do ratings? We rate on a scale of one to five, and you can feel free to do partial points as well. Deborah, you want to start us off? Sure. I think mine is going to be the highest. I would give it a four. It was so beautiful. I, w- I would give it a 3.5. I mean, it was gorgeous to look at. Shella, what do you think? Same for me. I mean, I would give it a three and a half for the visuals. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time too. Thank you again to Shella for joining us today. Shella, where can our listeners find your work and your podcast? Oh, thank you so much. Um, you can find my podcast, I'm a Muslim and That's Okay, on major platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, even on Amazon. I didn't even know how I got there, but I am, <laughs> I'm there. And you can uh, search me out. Um, I do freelance graphic design, illustration, and product photography. 
my uh, small itty bitty freelance practice is called Creative Cookie Jar. So you can just type out creativecookiejar.com and I'll pop up. Great. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can check out our website at myscreentime2.com. You can find us on Facebook to continue the conversation at facebook.com slash myscreentime2. That's also where you'll find out what we're covering in our next episode if you want to watch along with us. You can tweet us with show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments email us at myscreentime2 at gmail.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by me and my adorable children, and our podcast is produced by Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. Bye. Bye. Bye.